I'm going to tell you, I'm going to, I'm going to try to teach you that why most Christians are not conquering anything. And uh, I said all along, three weeks now, third week, that we are really, we really are more than conquerors. So Romans chapter 8 in your New Testament. <clears throat> Romans chapter 8 in verse 37. We just quoted that verse. But let's read it with our own eyes one more time. Romans 8 and verse 37. We really are more than conquerors, and yet we're not living by it. So let's look at Romans 8, 37. says this, Nay, in all these things, <clears throat> we, are, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Now, I've shown you, I've proved to you thus far that because of the work of Christ, we are forgiven. Now, whether anybody else forgives you doesn't matter. I mean, it's nice when somebody forgives you, but Jesus Christ has made it possible for you to be completely forgiven. You are. A Christian doesn't have to worry about getting to heaven once they're saved because they are forgiven. Yes, we mess up, but it's a done deal. We are free. We're free from the condemnation of sin. Sin still haunts us and still wreaks havoc in our lives, but we are free from its dominion. Third, we are fiercely loved by God. And that's got to that's gotta grab your heart where you realize, you know what? Nothing I can do can make him stop loving me. And nothing I can do can make him love me more than he currently does. Because he fiercely, everlastingly loves us. Uh, fourthly, we're fully equipped to win. We have everything we need to battle and win against every one of our enemies. I'm talking about spiritual enemies and our obstacles that we face. I taught you also that we are fighting in a war that's already won. We're, we're, we're in a battle that, that the devil already knows he's lost. He just wants to convince you we haven't won. And that's a mental thing. That's a, that's a thing where you're reckoning and you're deciding, you know what? I've already won this thing. I don't live there anymore. I don't live in my past anymore. I don't live under sin anymore. And then lastly, we are focused on a proper goal. And that's winning. That's being more than conquerors than just surviving. So also told you a couple weeks ago, I taught you that... Once it comes up, here we are. I've showed you five proofs that God is for us. I'm going to show you the two scriptures there in Romans chapter 8 and verse 29 and 30. It says, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. You're going to be like Jesus. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. He wants a big family. Moreover, he, whom he did predestinate, then he also called, and whom he called, then he also justified, and whom he justified, then he also glorified. Very simply, he foreknew us. He already knew all about us, and yet he loved us and died for us. He predestined us to be just like Jesus. He called us. He called us with a new calling. Whatever, whatever life you had before you're saved, I, you may have been a, a rocket scientist or a chemist or I don't care, a physicist. When you got saved, God gave you a new calling. He called us to a new life. Maybe to leave your old life completely. Maybe whatever your job is, and be a missionary, be a pastor. Maybe you're happy being single, but now you're ready to be married. Maybe you're looking to be married, but God called you. I want you to stay single, and I want you to live for me now with all your heart. He called us. See, those, these are proofs that God is for us. He's not against us. He justified us. All our failures, he fixes. And one day, he'll get us all the way home to heaven. You see, God, is, he's made it so that you're not, you're not working to get to heaven. That's not where our battle is. He's fixed it so we're going to win. We are going to win. Now, how do, what do we conclude about all this? Well, the answer there says, verse 31, look in verse 31, says, what shall we say? We then say to these things? 
If God be for us, who can be against us? Here's the truth. God is for us. If God is for us, and he is, who can be against us? There's nothing and there's no one who can stop you except yourself. Would you stop what I what, what you are doing and think about what I just said? There is no one and nothing that can stop you from doing the will of God except you. And that's what we're going to see here in our study. This, this, If you live in sin, it's not because of the devil. And it's not because of the world. Uh, it's because you believe yourself more than you believe God. So God is for you. Who can be against you? Nobody. Um, now, that it, 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 it's called being an overcomer. Uh, let's go to uh, Philippians 4. Go to the right, find Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13. Philippians 4, 13 says this. I, if, that, if all of that is true, I can now do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. You know, if, if, if God is for us and nobody can be against us, therefore we are not defeated. We are not failures. We are not ruined. We're, I don't care what anybody tells you about how many faults you have. You are not doomed to waste your life in sin anymore. You can be a failure all your life, but Jesus Christ cannot and will not see you as a failure until you believe it. That is the wrong thing. You gotta, you got to start believing. You know what? I am more than a conqueror. That doesn't mean that you're perfect, but that means that you can face into anything and you'll get through. So we're not, we're not doomed to waste our lives in sin anymore. We are victors. We are conquerors of our past. Are you listening? Your past doesn't conquer you. You give in to it. Any kind of memory comes into your head, you can cast it out. You can cast it down. You are victors over your past, over your passions. You say, I got a problem with lust. You can conquer that. You can conquer your lying, your pretending, and your panics, all your fears. We are victors. And we're able to press on when our heart says quit. Our heart says, I can't. You can keep going. You can defeat any fear the devil throws at you. You can overcome any obstacle the devil drops in your path. Now, you're not just supposed to win against your old habits and old sins. If you're more than a conqueror, like the Bible says, you're able to rule over whatever used to rule over you. You can use that as a testimony of grace to somebody else who needs a victory. You just need to believe it. You know, if you believe that Jesus died and was buried and rose again for you, God will save you. And if you believe, simply, if you believe that what Jesus offers you by grace now as a Christian, his strength, his power, his grace, everything about him, if you just believe it's enough for you to get through, it's enough for you to win, then you will win. You're able to press on, even though your heart says, I can't do it. The truth is, all believers are overcomers. Let me show you some scriptures here. We read there in Romans 8, 37. Can you say it with me? Say it with me. Don't, don't, uh, don't look at the screen. Just close your eyes and say it with me. Romans 8, 37. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Not because we're strong. Not because we're faithful. Not because we're smart. One of the greatest soul winners I ever met knew less than 10 scriptures of the Bible. And yet he used them, and they were all gospel message, uh, gospel verses. Everyone he talked to, he just, he opened up the Bible, he couldn't even read. 
You open up the Bible and he points to a scripture and verse, wasn't even the right verse. And he says, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. He took him to any page in the Bible and he quoted, I don't know, 10 or 12 scriptures. You don't have to know a lot to be victorious. We are. Now I want you to go to 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians 15 and 57. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. And the Bible says this, but thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He gives it. We're not trying to earn it. Um, uh, whatever victory you need today, he will give it, the Bible says. Um, 1 John 2, 1 John, all the way to the right now, 1 John chapter 2. In verse 14, just before Revelation, 1 John 2, 14. <clears throat> I have written unto you, fathers. We looked at this verse last week for Father's Day, but it's still got a, it's, it's got a, a point we need to get. I have written unto you, fathers, because you've known him that is from the beginning. I've written unto you, young men, because ye are strong. You may be young, but you are strong. And the word of God abideth in you. And ye have, you ha it's not that you want to, obviously you want to, but you already have overcome the wicked one. Go to chapter four, still in 1 John. 1 John chapter four and verse four. You're of God, little children. You're not of the church. You're not of the world. You're of God. If you're born again, you're of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you. You overcame when Jesus moved into your life. You have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Five, look at chapter five and verse four. First John chapter five and verse four. For whatsoever is born of God, you're born again, overcometh how much? You don't overcome your sin. You don't overcome your temptation. You can overcome the entire world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world even our faith, not our effort, not our strength, not our wisdom, our faith in Jesus Christ. That's an amazing. I just go back to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, one more scripture. 2 Corinthians and chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. You know, if you're missing, if you're just letting this just roll off your head, then you're missing some of the greatest facts and truths for you right now. Take a look at this, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. Now, thanks be unto God. What are we thankful for? Which always causes us to triumph in Christ. He always causes us to triumph. And maketh manifest the savor, that we'd say the flavor, the aroma of his knowledge by us in every place. It, we, we affect the world not for bad. We don't make the world all upset over what we're, it actually, we, we flavor this world with our victory. You know, God causes us always to triumph in Christ. And that doesn't mean that we don't have problems or that we have no sorrows or that we don't have disappointments and no dis disasters. Every one of us, listen to this right now. Every one of us has a past. Every one of us have been hurt. Every one of us have things that we're angry about. We have failures, we have bad memories, we have temptations. And we have constant sins that we're battling. But it doesn't mean that all that stuff just disappears the moment we got saved. Not at all. As a matter of fact, you get new temptations. 
There are new battles you face after you get saved. You never cared about what you watched on television before you got saved. Now there's a battle. But it does mean this, that you're guaranteed, if you're saved, to overcome in the end. You don't have to turn there, but Psalm 34, 19 says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth them, delivereth him out of them all. So we're going to have afflictions. You say, well, I'm saved. Why do I have so much trouble? I, I can't answer that. Why did this stuff happen to Oleg? I don't know. Why does all, why, why do, why do people have good people? People are trying to be faithful to God. Why did, I don't know. I'm going to say this. God will answer that one day. But God delivers us. He gives us the victory over every one of them. We even overcome death. Death for us is not death. It's just falling asleep and waking up home in heaven. Therefore, I can do all things through Christ. Don't you, don't you realize how all that stuff fits together like a glove? Because he's the strength. Now, why aren't we conquering? That's the good question. There's a big question. Why aren't we overcoming everything that comes in our way? And sometimes it's people. Sometimes it's memories. Sometimes it's feelings. Mainly it's feelings. I mean, everybody over in America rioting, they're not fighting over truth. Most of them are fighting over bad attitudes that have been brewing and brewing. The, the educational system, the churches have been feeding in anger, and, and, and it's wrong. It is breathtakingly wrong that people call it this a battle for truth. Not at all. Christians overcome all that stuff. We don't riot, right? We pray. We can speak up. We'll go to city hall and we'll we'll make our voice better but we will not tear it down that's what the devil does the devil's a destroyer a liar a murderer from the beginning anyway why aren't we as christians conquering why are there so many christians defeated and they live a constant cycle look at this they live a constant cycle of of um temptation they start with temptation everybody battles that constantly and they end constantly end up giving into it and they move to deception where they think they can get away with it. And then it comes a decision. They go through that debate process. Should I or shouldn't I? And they decide to go ahead and disobey God. Why is it everybody goes through this same cycle where they make a decision to disobey God and do what they want? And they end up trapped. They end up in bondage. They don't even realize it. But that cigarette, that bottle, those pills you take and you say, well, I just needed them for medicinal purposes. Uh, be careful. Because if it is you leaning on anything except Jesus Christ, it'll put you where all of a sudden you have to break away from it, and it's a lot harder to break away, and it leads to defeat. That's the cycle of Christians. And the longer you go through that, the weaker you get and the harder it is to break out of it. But every Christian, if you're saved three weeks, you haven't gone through that yet. Three years, you've probably gone through it 10 times. 30 years, if you're saved 30 years, if you don't have the victory, you're in a downward spiral, and it gets harder and harder to repent. It gets harder and harder for you to ever have victory in your life. That's not why God saved you, and that's not how to live. <clears throat> so now, let's go to Numbers chapter 13. Back in your Old Testament, you've got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Fourth book in your Bible, Numbers chapter 13. The children of Israel, as an entire nation, are standing on the very edge of a land that God had promised them 450 years earlier to Abraham and all his descendants through, uh, <clears throat> through um, 
Jacob, Israel. So the entire nation on the edge of the promised land. Um, they had they had been in slavery. They had been in slavery for about a year. I'm sorry. They had sorry, they had left slavery in Egypt about a year and a half earlier and traveled northeast, gone through the Red Sea, spent time in Mount Sinai getting the commandments. They fought back the Amalekites that were constantly trying to attack them. They built the tabernacle for worship. And now they were on the very edge of the will of God for them. And that's where we find them in chapter 13. So, um, uh, um, I thought I had that verse. Let me see if I missed it. 71, I don't. I'll come back to it if I find my scripture here. It's missing here. On the God had promised them victory. Well, I tell you what, even if it's not there, let me take you. You're in numbers. Go to go to Deuteronomy, the very next book, chapter one. I don't know where it is. <clears throat> Deuteronomy, the next book in the Old Testament, chapter one and verse seven. God promised them. He says, turn you now and take your journey. Go to the Mount of the Amorites and under all the places nigh into there. He's saying, go into the promised land, in the plain, in the hills, and in the vale. And in the south, by the seaside, I want you to go to the land of the Canaanites. And all the way up into Lebanon, up at the top, and unto the great river, the great river Euphrates, verse 8. Behold, I have set the land before you. I have opened it up. So go in and possess the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, to give unto them and to their seed after them. So God promised them victory. So they decide to send out 12 spies back there in Numbers chapter 12, uh, chapter 13. Chapter 13 and verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Send thou men that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel, of every tribe of their fathers. Shall ye send a man, one from every tribe, every one a ruler among them. I need them to be the leaders of the tribes. Verse 3. Moses. Um, does that, okay? But go down to verse 18. <clears throat> he picks, if you notice there, four, five, six, seven, eight. There are all of these names of people. Now, starting in verse 18. Well, starting verse 17, I'm sorry. And Moses sent them out, sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said unto them, get you up this way southward and then go up unto the mountain and see the land, what it is, and the people that dwelleth therein, whether they may be strong or weak, few or many. And what the land is that thou that they dwell in, whether it be good or bad, what cities they be that dwell <clears throat> that they dwell in, whether it be tents or in strongholds, and what the land is. Find out what the soil is like, whether it be fat or lean, whether it be wood therein or not, and be ye of what good courage, and bring of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the time of the first ripe grapes. So note that thing about the grapes. Um, so they send out 12 spies. We call them surveyors. Now they're called, they're spies because they can't let the people know we're here to take over. So they're walking around kind of like sightseers, uh, walking around. Oh, what is the name of this town? Oh, and who's, who's, um, um, the uh, mayor and, and wow, uh, who, who's in charge of the gate over here, closing it by night. And so they're finding out all of these things. Now it's a little bit like, if you know anything of American history, there was a couple of guys called Lewis and Clark who uh, went with an Indian woman named Sacagawea 
they went all over the Western United States surveying and making a map of the Western United States. And that's what these guys are doing. As, as Israel came to the very southern tip, when the nation of Israel came to the land, they sent, this, they sent these 12 spies out and they went all throughout the land, all the way up to the Sea of Galilee. This is Lebanon up here. And then they all, they came back. And they did it in 40 days. So they're traveling pretty quick. There's a lot of places to go, but not too fast, okay? So um, uh, they ended up, look at verse, oh, I want to show you. Look at verse 8 because there are two important names I want you to see here. Of the tribe of Ephraim was a guy named Oshia, the son of Nun. Now, Oshia was his name before it, it got changed. People started calling him Joshua. But that was his name before, as he went along, he became known as Joshua. By the way, Joshua is the Old Testament name for Jesus. Now, he's not Jesus, but he's a, he's a lot like him. But there's one other guy that's in this group that you need to take note of. That's back in verse 6 of the tribe of Judah. There was this man named, and remember this word, this name, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. So these two men are in that list. They go around sightseeing, they're map making, they're cataloging everything and everyone they saw. They actually look in verse 23. Verse 23 says, and they came into the brook Eshkol and they cut down from thence a branch with one cluster of grapes. And it was so heavy that they bear it, they carry it between two people upon a pole, a staff, and they brought of the pomegranates and the figs. So this cluster of grapes, was so full and so uh, uh, so heavy of, of grapes, they had to carry it on a stick and carry it back. You couldn't just one person carry it. When I go to the grocery store and I get a bunch of grapes, I send a little punnet, and I mean, you could carry 10 of them. But two guys had to carry just one cluster. It was that rich of soil. <clears throat> so after 40 days, they come back. And the majority give their reports. Look down there in verse 25. And they returned from searching of the land after 40 days. Verse 26. And they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel and to the wilderness of Paran, to Kadesh. And they brought back word unto them and unto all the congregation. They showed them the fruit of the land. They showed them that bunch of grapes. Watch what they said. Moses has gathered the entire congregation. They're so excited. Verse 27, and they told him and said, we came unto this, unto the land where thou sentest us. And surely it floweth, as God had promised, with milk and honey. Now, milk and honey, that's kind of a luxury. Uh, milk was something you got, obviously, from cows and goats and things, but you didn't drink it for, for constant beverages. It was something that you used for making cheese and butter. It was a, it was a, a commodity that you sold and bought. And yet the land was flowing with milk and it was sweet. It was pleasant. It wasn't hard or, 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 or uh, bitter. Flowing with milk and honey. And this, they're holding up that cluster of grapes, is the fruit of it. Now, so far, so good. But then the men, 10 of those 12, they changed their tune. Verse 28, nevertheless, we'd say, but... <clears throat> the people be strong that dwell in the land. And the cities, by the way, they're walled and very great. They're massive. 
And moreover, we saw the children of Anak, children of the giant there. <clears throat> the Amalekites, our worst enemies, dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites, they dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell down by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. Now, Caleb, verse 30, interrupts and stilled the people before Moses because they're getting quite upset and said, let us go up at once. Now, we're going to come back to this verse in a moment, but notice what he says. Let us go up right now and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. Verse 31, here's our next but. But the men that went up with him, those other 10 men, said, we be not able to go up against his people, for they are stronger than we. Verse 32. And they brought up an evil report. Now, circle those two words. I'm going to give you a side message here. Remember Philippians 4.8. Philippians 4.8. Why don't you go there? Let me show you something. Philippians 4.8. Because too many Christians listening to my voice have listened to evil reports all week long. You've listened to YouTube preachers. You've listened to everybody, and you've gotten evil attitudes and evil things going on because you're not following Philippians 4.8. Look at Philippians 4.8. Finally, brethren, speaking to Christians, Whatsoever things are true, you better test there. Not everything that says is true is true. Whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are, uh, are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report. Think uh, uh, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. So here these men give an evil report. And that's of the devil to try and stir up and Christ, uh, uh, try to cause division. And one of the worst things that God says he hates is division among the brethren or something. I don't care what you think or what you're believing. Be careful. It doesn't cause a division. So here are these, these 10 men, and it says they brought up an evil report. Verse 32, back there in Numbers 13, of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, the land through which we have gone to search is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. What's he describing? He says there are earthquakes there that kill people. There are lions there that just come out of nowhere and devour people. There's quicksand. There's rock falls. The land is dangerous to live in. Keep going. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. Now they're exaggerating. They're lying. They're trying to make their case worse than it really is. Not everybody was a giant. Verse 33, and there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. They could just step on us, listen to their attitude. And so we were in their sight. So they describe, they say the people are strong, the cities are walled and well-protected, the giants are living there, our enemies are there, the land is eating up people. And did we mention the people are huge? We cannot go in. We cannot win this. Now back there in verse 30, Caleb didn't wait for them to finish their report. He stops them and says, stop, you cannot believe this. These people can, these men cannot be believed. They are speaking a lie. And he says in verse 30, he stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once. We don't need to hear one more word out of these guys and possess it. And then I want you to see this, for we are well able. 
to overcome them. He's quoting Romans 8.37 before it was written. We are well able to overcome. Romans 8.37 says we are more than conquerors. Who were they listened to? They were not. Here we come. I compare the, I compare the people to Eeyore. No matter what uh, Winnie the Pooh wanted to do, no matter what uh, the rest of the animals there in the 100-acre forest wanted to do, Eeyore says, we can't do it. No, it's too dangerous. No, I, I'm afraid. You know what's a shame? That's Christians. Christians who won't get out of their house, won't go down to the street, won't hand out a gospel tract, won't go to anybody and give them the gospel, won't make a stand, they'll let people riot, but they won't pray and give and go themselves. They're Eeyores. So majority gave their report, and, and two men speak up. It actually turns out to be Caleb and Joshua. But their opinion is rejected because the people had already given up. Look at chapter 14 and verse 1. Chapter 14 and verse 1. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. I mean, there's if you had been out, if you had been walking through the, the, the camp, the people were weeping in their tents. They were defeated. Here are the people of God completely stopped in their tracks. Verse two, the next morning, all the children of Israel murmured. Watch your, if you start complaining against the leadership, you start complaining against Moses and against church and against, listen, there are problems you got to talk about. But they murmured against Moses and against Aaron and the whole congregation now is unified. <laughs> and they said unto them, would God that we had died in the land of Egypt. Or would God we had died in this wilderness? Verse 3. And wherefore? We'd say, why hath the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword? That our wives, now watch this. They're worried about their wives and their children? Not at all. These are the most self-centered people on the planet of the day. That our wives and our children should be a prey. Were it not better for us to return to Egypt? They said one to another, hey, let's make us a captain, a leader, and let us return unto Egypt. These people are upset. They've got everything going on inside of their head that we, we've just wasted our entire year and a half. We've wasted our lives leaving Egypt. We should have died in Egypt or at least died in the wilderness, but now we're going to die here. And, and then they wanted to go back to Egypt. Mm. Now, I want you to see the consequences. Because never once did they care about the consequences of rebelling. But there are consequences. I want you to realize they were blocked from getting into the will of God. They never could go forward anymore. God says during the rest of chapter 14, God says, okay, you don't want to go into the promised land? Then you're not going in. Um, a little while later, they will actually try. If you go, to, go down to the end of chapter 14, after God shows them all the consequences, uh, verse 40, <clears throat> after God shows them all the consequences, <clears throat> they rose up early the next morning. <clears throat> they got them up into the top of the mountain saying, lo, we be here now. We're at the edge and we will go up unto the place which the Lord hath promised. Oh, for we have sinned. Verse 41. And Moses said, wherefore do ye now transgress the commandments of the Lord? Why are you now 
Why are you fighting this commandment? But it shall not prosper. It's not going to work. Go not up, verse 42, for the Lord is not among you, not now, that ye be not smitten before your enemies. You're going to now face your enemies and die. For the Amalekites, the Canaanites, are there before you, and ye shall fall by the sword because ye have turned away from the Lord. Therefore, the Lord will not be with you. But they presumed to go anyway. They presumed to go up unto the hilltop, nevertheless the ark of the covenant of the Lord. And Moses, he just stood there watching as they all tried to go into the promised land. <clears throat> Verse 45, then the Amalekites came down and the Canaanites which dwell in that hill and they smote them. They started killing them and they discomforted them even back to Horma where they were camped. <clears throat> they were stopped from getting in. The will of God for that group of people was to go into the promised land. When they said they didn't want to, when they thought that, well, I've got a better thing, or they started just complaining, saying this isn't what I expected, and they started to want to go back, God said, then you're not going forward. <clears throat> and this is the most dangerous place for a Christian to be in because God did not save you to just wander around and have no purpose. God gave you a purpose, <clears throat> and he expects you to go forward. But when you won't go forward and you fight, God says, then I won't take you forward. Now, that leads to another point. There's no going back either. <clears throat> there, was, there was no going back. They were never able to go back to Egypt. One of the proofs that a person's belong, the person belongs to God is that God won't let you go back to the drink. You may try and drink, but there's no buzz in it. I've known plenty of people who used to get, get happy with just two drinks. Now they got to take five, six, or seven pints before they sort of feel numb. That's them fighting God who doesn't want them ever to go back to that drink, doesn't want them ever going back to the sin that they used to be dominated by before they got saved. Folks, let me tell you, there is no going back to the old life. If you're saved, you can't go back. You'll never be happy there. The most miserable person listening to me right now is saved and yet living like they're not. You can't do it. Not for very long because God chastens you, brings you back. There was no going back to Egypt. <clears throat> Here it gets worse. They were doomed to live wasted lives. And we're not talking about they were doomed to die. They had to live out the next 39 years of their life, 39 years, walking, wandering around in circles. Here they're going to be fighting among themselves, hating themselves, tripping over themselves, while their children, just in, four, in 39 years, are going to walk right into the promised land. The very children they said that they were worried about were actually going to win what they could have won themselves, but they forfeited the victory. They forfeited the victory because they were more interested in just having it all handed to them on a platter. You know, we are victors, but we do have to fight or else God wouldn't have given us weapons of warfare. I have a battle every day between the flesh and the spirit. I have a battle every day. If I don't have that battle, I'm not living. I'm not alive. So if you don't want to put up the fight, then God will say, good. Then you're doomed under your flesh. So for 39 years, they had to wait to die so their children would be able to go in. Um, <clears throat> here's It gets worse. From this day forward, they never enjoyed the will of God. They never enjoyed what God had for them. They were supposed to go into the promised land. God said, go. And they says, no. He says, okay. 
Now, I want a once-off thing. This thing, they were fighting the entire time they were coming to this edge of the promised land. So this was the final straw. And, you know, God is very long-suffering. But he does say, that's it. And that will be the most terrifying thing. To everybody listening to my voice this morning. Don't push God and say, well, I know God's called me to do this. But I'll give it a little more time. Maybe, maybe, maybe you need to get trained. Maybe you need some, some time. But if you keep putting it off, God may say, basically what you're telling me is no. Therefore, you're going to miss enjoying the will of God. And that, I believe, is the worst way to live as a Christian. Worse than living under the dominion of sin is living under the dominion of emptiness and a wasted life. They never, none of those people except uh, Joshua and Caleb, no one got into the promised land. None of them enjoyed it. <clears throat> Their children got to go in. Children. And I'm kind of surprised. I'm watching the Western world collapse. Do you know what? Another nation that's heathen, wicked, ungodly. You know what? God will turn the gospel in, in uh, turn uh, a, a nation and uh, work the gospel in the nation. All of a sudden, they will shine like we're supposed to shine. And another people that are weak and timid and have no uh, no uh, civilization, no technology, they'll do more for God. They will praise God and live for God better than we will. Children will go into the middle of the will of God better than we do because there are consequences for rebelling against the battle. So children go in. And I want to say this. God's people are never abandoned by God. God took care of them. The shoes never wore out. Their clothes, their shoes, they never had to replace their shoes. Their clothes never wore out. God fed them for the next 39 years with the same manna he had already been feeding with them with. God still met with them. They worshiped. Uh, they, they, they got the law. They got the commandments. They learned um, uh, how they were supposed to be training their children, but they never got to go into the will of God. But here's the truth. Even though God didn't abandon them, they were stuck in the wilderness. They were stuck between two worlds. God wants you in the kingdom of God. And yet you're trying to live in the world. If you don't want to go into the kingdom, you can't go back. You're going to be stuck in la-la land. It's worthless land, wasted land, the wilderness. What does all that mean for us? You see, if you learn these things, you'll learn why we're not winning our battles, why we're not overcoming, why we still bring up the same problems, why we still keep going back to the same old sins, why all the same attitudes and everything dominate our lives. You ready? We have a promised land. <clears throat> the will of God for Israel was to go and live in Canaan land. That was their land. God promised it to Abraham. And the will of God for us, it, it may be some place. It may be someone, it may be something, but it may be to get married, it may be to not get married, it may be to have children, get a different job. I, it doesn't matter. You need to find out what God's will is for you. you say, well, I'm afraid of God's will. I know everybody is. But I'm telling you, God's will for Israel was awesome. It was, it was better than Egypt. Wouldn't you agree? It was better than the wilderness. So don't ever think that whatever God asks you to do, you say, well, it's hard. Of course it's hard. But whatever God's will is for you, please realize it's better than anything that has ever been experienced by you before. <clears throat> the world 
The will of God for the Christian is to turn our world upside down. If the devil can turn the world upside down with riots, we can turn the world upside down with the gospel. What is the promised land for us? It's always going forward, never backwards. Are you closer to God now? Are you sweeter now? Are you more pleasant to be around now? Are you more of a servant now than you were last year? That's the promised land, middle of the will of God. What are our obstacles? Well, there are too many to count. Uh, uh, everybody has obstacles. The, Israel, when they came to the land, God had not already emptied it out of all the inhabitants. God said, you're gonna do that. And when you got saved, there was past, there were present struggles that God said, I want you to clear out. I'm not gonna clear it out for you. You're gonna do it bit by bit. You have been enabled to clear out everything that is holding you back from doing the will of God, from being what God, whatever you were before you were saved, you can live clean now. So whatever the obstacles, your past, all the hurts, the things you're angry about, the failures, the bad memories, the temptations, the sinning, the complaining, the arguing, you know what? All of those things are what we all deal with. There's no temptation taking you, but what's it's just common to man. So, so what? Whatever obstacle you're battling, it has to be battled. Be battled. Should any of us live in favor, failure? And the word is absolutely not. We will experience failures, and sometimes we'll experience a sequence, series of failures. You may go through a month of failures, but we have God for us. We have all the power of God and all the promises of God. You know, when you got Jesus Christ, you got all the promises of God because all of the promises of God are in him. So you don't have to say, oh, well, what do I do? What do I do? You just trust God. Whatever God asks you to do, you can do. I can do all things through Christ. God has given us everything we need to do the perfect will of God. Never forget that. That doesn't mean that instantly you become a rocket scientist. That doesn't mean instantly you're able to come out of the hospital bed. But in that hospital bed, in your struggle just to put two sentences together, God is there. and God does the impossible. If all of that is true, why don't we live beyond our past? All of, our, all of our obstacles, why don't we live beyond it? I know why. I know exactly why. Let me ask you this. Why are we turning our world upside down right now? It's for the same reasons that Israel didn't succeed. Let me finish with these thoughts. All right. Why Israel didn't conquer is the reason why we don't live the conquering life. You see, God had promised them only victory. Here are my scriptures I was looking for here. We read Deuteronomy chapter one. Let's go, let's go back, go to the right, find chapter 21, verse 21. Roman, sorry, <laughs> Deuteronomy 1, 21. <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter one and verse 21. Behold, the Lord thy God hath set the land before thee. He's repeating himself, but he says this. Go up and what? Conquer it. Possess it. It is yours. You think that bottle has you? Good. You possess it and you take it and smash it against the back wall and walk away from it and you're able to possess that and not it possess you anymore. Possess it as the Lord God of thy fathers had said unto thee. Trust what he promised. Fear not, neither be discouraged. 
No matter, listen, God told them the wall, the cities were going to be walled already. He told them the people were going to be scary. He told them it was going to take a huge amount of effort to conquer the land. But he said, don't be discouraged. Go in anyway. Show you one more. <clears throat> also in Deuteronomy chapter 20. Deuteronomy chapter 20 and verse 1. God never said, you know, you might not make it. No, he said, you will. You'll do just fine if you'll obey my voice. Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 1. When thou goest out to battle, circle that word. What is the Christian life? Oh, the Christian life is rest and peace and joy. Yeah, yeah, it is. But it's also warfare and wrestling and fighting. But there's, there's peace because we're winning. Look at the verse. When thou goest out to battle against thine enemies, and when thou seest horses, the children of Israel only had donkeys. When you see horses and chariots and a people more than thou, be not afraid of them. Why? For the Lord thy God is with thee. Who can be against us if God be with us? Which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. God has only promised them victory. So let's look at why Israel did not conquer. Number one, they didn't want to go in. That's the truth. Their enemies weren't bigger than them. They didn't want to go into the will of God. And most Christians today don't either. I, it's been a long time since I've met somebody who said, you know, pastor, I believe God's calling me to preach. I believe God's calling me to be a missionary. I believe God wants me to be a missionary wife. I want to serve God with somebody who wants to go to a faraway country. Wherever it is, I just want to serve God. It's been a long time since I've met somebody who was willing to go into the will of God. Everyone would say, Lord, I hope you want me to be a millionaire. I hope you want me to be good looking. I hope you want the will of God. I want the will of God to be X, Y, and Z. But they will not say, not my will, Lord, but thy will be done. The children of Israel did not want to go in. When they were in Egypt, they wanted to get out of Egypt, but they did not want to go into the promised land. You know, people love their old lives. They really love their old sins. They love their old friends. They're content with Jesus in their back pocket and the world in their heart. Modern Christians love pleasure more than they love God. The truth is going to be when we start up church, how many people stay home? and yet claim to be members of this church, claim to be lovers of this church, and they go, you know, it's just too much to come anymore on a Sunday. Yeah, I know. I know. You really don't want to go in. Christians actually, Christians actually think they can still handle the drink. They can handle the porn. They can handle the drugs. They can handle the filthy entertainment. They don't want to live differently. They don't want to go to school. They don't want to go to work, and people go around going, you're different when we are. <clears throat> Second problem, they only believe the majority opinion. You know, it's 10 vote, votes against two. The majority of those 12 spies uh, only saw the obstacles, saw the problems, saw the flaws in the plan, saw the angels. Beware of hanging around with somebody who only sees problems. Wow, you need helpers who are there who give comment and give say this needs to be done boy did you remember that but these 12 these 10 only saw they saw nothing good oh my god we found some fat grapes but everything else is wrong 
Those 10 men stirred up the fears in those people and they discouraged an entire congregation of God's people from believing God's promises. Shame on them. God had already told them about all those cities and giants and obstacles and dangers. This was not news. This was fake news. But it was the popular news. It was popular news. They believed those 10 over the two. You know what? I, if, nobody, if nobody believes God, I want to believe God. If everybody quits church, I want to stay faithful. I know there's going to be some faithful ones. Praise God. But I'm just speaking from my heart saying, why don't more Christians have victory? It's because they're watching the world tell them what to believe. They're watching the majority of other Christians. You'll meet a Christian who says, it's okay to drink. You'll meet Christians who say, you know, it doesn't matter if you do this or that. You know, it's okay if you live together before you're married. You're listening to the majority. You're not listening to God. Third, they only saw themselves instead of God. Look back there in chapter 13 and verse 31. The men that went up, those 10 men with him, they said this, we be not able, circle the word we, be not able to go up against his people for they are stronger than we. All they saw was we. Um, look at verse 33. And there we saw the giants, the son of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. Do you, do you hear them ever talking about God anywhere? You know, when Israel was uh, on the edge of a hillside facing the Philistine army, and there was a giant in the middle of the valley calling out for a man to come and fight him, all those people were going, we can't fight against him. Until David said, Wait a minute, they're not fighting us. They're fighting God and God wins. And he grabbed some stones. He ran down there and took them down. He took them down. They saw themselves. And when you're caught up in yourself, we call it narcissism. We call it self-centeredness. We call it everything. It is wrong when a Christian only thinks about themselves. You may not be able to walk 10 feet, but you can do what God asks you to do. You can be in a hospital bed. You can be in prison and serve God. If you get your heart right and decide from this moment on, I'm going to live for God. My mouth will be his mouthpiece. You can do all things through Christ. Do you ever feel this way about yourself? Do you ever constantly remind yourself of all your weaknesses and limitations? Do you ever say, I can't speak? Moses tried that. <laughs> I can't talk. I can't convince people about the Bible. I can't live the Christian life. On and on and on it goes. You know what you're looking at? You're looking at the wrong person. You're looking at yourself. They weren't looking at God. They were afraid. You know, fear immobilizes most people from doing anything. I know people won't ask somebody out on a date because they're afraid. They're terrified. Well, what if they say no? Try. What if they say yes? My goodness. People are immobilized by fear. Don't you live the Christian life in fear? These people were afraid of the will of God. What if God did call you to be a preacher or a pastor or a missionary? What if God did call you to live single for the rest of your life? What if God called you to stay married, which he does? What if God called you to humble yourself and submit to your authority? What if God called you to do the hard thing? Don't fear it. Because fear stops you from living in the middle of God's will. They're afraid of the unknown. 
They had never seen this land. They had never seen the Canaanites and the Hittites. They'd only heard about them. And they're afraid of all those battles ahead. You know what? When you're talking to somebody about the gospel and you're giving the gospel, make sure you give them the whole package. Let them know this is not the end of your troubles. This is not life that's going to be lived without problems. Fear is huge for people. I've noticed this. I'll meet a Christian, and we're talking about this COVID-19, and there's a joy in their heart. They talk like God's in control. But I'll meet somebody, and they're not saved, or maybe they're backslid. You know what? They're covered head to toe in a spacesuit. They're worried about getting the, the, the COVID. They're worried about everyone in the world dying. They're worried about the end of the world. Christians don't live in fear. Yeah, maybe we have to do some things to sort of knock the, the virus down. I understand all that. But we do not live in fear. We do not live in fear because fear is not of God. There's only one, you know, if you get your fear right, if you fear God, nothing else will upset you. That's the truth. They were afraid. They had forgotten so many important things. I don't know if you can see this or not, but I'm going to finish up here. Just a few more thoughts. They had quickly forgotten all that God had already done for them. Uh, do you remember they were an arm? They were a nation of unarmed slaves who walked out of the gates of Egypt with hallelujah hands. Exodus chapter 14, verse 8 says, this is when they were going out. It says, and the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued after the children of Israel, and the children of Israel went out with a high hand. Didn't matter. They were praising God because without an army, without weapons, they walked out free. They forgot that God had delivered them. They forgot that God, they had forgotten that God was providing manna every morning for them on the ground. They had forgotten that they had drank fresh, cool water from a rock out in the middle of the desert. They forgot about all the battles they had won against the Amalekites already. Do you know who they forgot? They forgot who they were. They were the people of God. I want to show you something. Go to Philipp I said Philippians. I mean, uh, go to First Peter, First Peter chapter two. First Peter chapter two and verse nine. Tremendous scripture. Referring back to Israel, but applying it to the Christian now. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. But in the context, all the things that we're going against doesn't matter. Because verse 9 says, but ye are a chosen generation. You know, out of the mud, out of the muck, we come to God and God says, I take you. I want you. Remember, we are foreknown. We, God knows us and still accepts us. Ye are a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. You have direct access to God. You don't, need, you don't need a priesthood. You are a priesthood. You're a holy nation, a peculiar, a different, outstanding people that you should show forth the praises of him who had called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You know what those Israelites forgot? They were God's people. They were peculiar. They were different. They were holy. They were ready to win. They've forgotten so many things. And they forgot who was leading them. Who were they angry at? Moses. Do you know who had actually called them out of Egypt? Who had actually delivered them? Who had brought them to the promised land? Was it Moses? Was it Aaron? No. They forgot who was leading them. And when God is leading you, 
Don't blame anybody else for your struggles. Don't blame a single soul. God is a good God. He's taking you every step of the way. And here's the last thought. Why didn't Israel go in? They didn't. They only wanted the milk and honey of the promises of God. They didn't want the warfare that come with those promises. They want the Christian life. They want the Christian wife. They want the Christian husband. They want the Christian children. They want the Christian dog that don't exist. They want everything all nice and tidy. And the Lord says, no, no, no. That's not what it is. There's a fight. God works and gives us the victory as we wrestle. And we'll talk about that in just one second here. These people did not want the wrestling. They only wanted the sweet and the easy. And so when church gets hard, when, uh, when Christian life gets hard, they quit. Lastly, they don't even try to go in. They don't even try and go in. They were so used to living as failures, they couldn't imagine living victorious. They trusted the devil they knew instead of the God that was calling them to a better life. So they didn't even try and go forward. Does that describe any of you? Does that describe any of you? So how do we conquer whatever we may be facing? This is the message. Are you ready? You don't have to live a wasted, defeated life. You don't have to live in the past. You don't have to live in the dream of the future. You can live right now as a more than conqueror because God does it. Can you remember, if, if you get nothing else, every one of the battles that they were going to face, God was going to fight. They were just in motion. They were just swinging the sword. God was making contact. They were just pushing forward and God was making over. Remember when they came into the Red Sea? God opened it. When there was no food, God provided it. When Moses lifted his hands on a mountain while Joshua was fighting the Amalekites, they won, not because Joshua was strong, but because Moses lifted his hands in prayer. And God says, you know what? I will answer in the fight the prayer of God's people. God does everything. You will not. You don't just sit back and let God do everything. No, but God does everything as you do your feeble things. I tell the story of an elephant and a mouse going across a rickety old bridge. And that bridge is, is swinging and bouncing. And they get across and that mouse looks up to the elephant and says, you know what? We sure shook that bridge. <laughs> no, they didn't. The elephant did. But the mouse was right alongside. I normally don't put a mouse and an elephant together, but I want you to get the picture. That little mouse said, we sure shook that bridge. And that's what it's going to be like when you go from victory after victory. It won't be you. And God, God does it all. Second thing, you need to know God's will. You're never going to get into the real fight until you know, what is it that God saved me for? Third, you need to rely on God's abilities, not your own. Don't ever look at yourself. Do not ever count your education or lack of education. Maybe you do need to go to a Bible Institute. Maybe uh, there's not a problem with learning Bible. But don't wait until you have all your I's dotted and all your T's crossed before you ever serve God. Find out God's will and then rely on God's power. Every time I stand up here, I am praying and praying and praying. God, I don't know what to say. I've done my best. Lord, I need you to preach. I need you to. It is your time now. There have been 
countless numbers of times where I was terrified to stand behind a pulpit and preach to people because I knew their souls were hanging in the balance. But I still went. Why? Because I'm relying on God, not on myself. Don't ever look at yourself. Keep your eyes on Jesus Christ, looking unto him. Fourthly, want to conquer. How many times do I need to say it? Want to conquer. So I'm just trying to keep my head above water. What a wasted life. Why don't you walk on the water? And that's a figurative speaking. Why don't you live above your problems? Why don't you go from day to day to week to week without constantly falling? You will struggle. There will be times where the devil deceives you and you, oh man, why was I so stupid? But you can go for time and time and time in victory. You just got to want to. Israel didn't want to. And then keep going. We have too many starters and very few finishers. Paul said it. Most of the people that started with him in the ministry had left him. Only Luke was with him. Timothy, he desperately said, Timothy, come. I need your fellowship because there's so few people around me now. I am alone except for Luke. I wonder what it's going to be like when Jesus was getting ready to go to the cross in John chapter 6. Thousands of people were there for free food, but as he preached a hard message, they all walked away. And Jesus said to his 12, are you going to go away too? It's going to need, it means you need to endure hardness. It was going to get hard for those disciples to stay near to Jesus, and it'll be hard for us. It's not going to get any easier. Whatever's happening right now is closing up all of history. Keep going. You know, the truth is your enemy and all the obstacles you face are no match for God. Remember, Caleb said this back there. Go to Numbers chapter 13, verse 30. Circle this verse. Caleb stilled the people, at least for a brief moment. May he still our hearts. He, he stilled the people before Moses, got in front of Moses and stilled the people and said, let us go up at once and possess it, the entire land for we are well able to overcome it. He was believing God. He was looking unto God. He was wanting to win the fight, and he was willing to go and win. Be careful, though. It's not up here, but I got a thought. Be careful who you let influence you. It may be all of your friends and all of the Facebook and all the media. Be careful who you're believing. You know, in the world, especially the media, says all these things is probably fake. If it doesn't agree with the Bible, it's fake news. Don't believe it. Turn it off. Pick up your Bible. Say, I believe God. When the ship was sinking and Paul the apostle was in that ship and all those people were trying to escape for their lives, Paul said, wait, 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 wait. Stay in the ship. We're going to be fine. I believe God. So you may not know what's going to happen, but you can believe God. Don't let anybody, don't let the captain of the ship, don't let the T-shirt, the, the president, anything. Change your faith. You know what will happen if we just keep doing things right? If we just stay on track, you know what will happen? Mountains much, might just start moving. Seas just might start splitting. Manna might just start falling from the sky in provision for your... Pharaohs that were so angry and so dominating of your life may just walk away in frustration. I know this, God guarantees that your fears will fade. The world will be, if we are become more than conquerors, the world will be affected for good. And you can put down any sinful habit. 
we will overcome. What are you waiting for? What in the world could possibly keep you defeated now? I've just skimmed across this thing. You need to go back and read through all these things and look back at those verses I showed you. That's one one thousandth of the con of the confirmation verses that that reinforce we are more than conquerors. God is for us. If God is for us, who could be against? We are well able to overcome. But I want to tell you the truth. It all starts with a new birth. It's called being born again. You know what God will do when you get saved? He will make the weak strong. When you humbly surrender to the power of Jesus Christ to save you, he can save any sinner. Will you let him save you? Oh, yeah, you can't save yourself. Your, 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 all your goodnesses, all of the tally up, all of the things that you've tried to do for God don't match up what God did for you. Ask him to save you. And dear Christian, will you let God direct your life into the will of God and start to use your life for a greater purpose than you ever imagined? Wouldn't it be interesting if Christians decided, you know what, this is a great time for me to become more than a conqueror. I don't want to live the defeated life anymore. I, the only thing that will keep you defeated is your own stubbornness, your stupidity, and your love of sin. Don't do it, dear Christian. He'll make you more than a conqueror if you let him.